Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, you can subscribe at My Best Eleven Pod and leave us a five star rating. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at My Best Eleven Pod. Email My Best Eleven Pod at gmail.com. Welcome to another episode of My Best 11 Podcast. Today we are joined by a player who has been lucky enough to play for Luton twice and has also played for some very, very big clubs um, in Bristol, um, Fulham and QPR amongst others. And he's currently managing um, Melton Mowbray's local team. Um, in Melton Town, which I was very, very pleased to hear about, um, into management. So it'll be interesting to see how he's going there. Today we're joined by Tony Thorpe. How are you, Tony? Yes, really good, guys. You in, um, and Marv, how are you, Marv? I know you've been looking forward to this one. Andrew, um, it's <clears throat> the saying, try and try and try again until you succeed, comes to mind with 4P. Four times we've <laughs> attempted him and finally we've got him on. But I will, I will say... He's one of my best friends in the game. We go back a long, long way, so I've got a lot of love for him. So, Aya Forbes, you good? Mm. Yeah, really good. Really good, Snoop. Doing, good. doing well. Excellent. So, um, what we like to do is start off with um, formation, and then we go through the team. So, obviously, the best players, best 11 players you've ever set foot on a pitch with. So, we'll start off with um, formation and have a chat through formation and, and that type of thing. So, what formation would you go for for your best 11 team, Tony? Yeah, so I'm quite a traditionalist, I think. So I've gone for a normal 4-4-2, which is kind of throughout the years I played football, I generally played uh, with two wingers. Uh, whereas nowadays, you don't really see that much, uh, especially at the top level. But uh, no, I went for a traditional 4-4-2 for my lineup. Excellent. And where would you fit in? So obviously you play most of your time as a striker. In the modern day game with the three or kind of two wide wide and one in the middle, where do you reckon you'd fit? Would you fit in the centre or would you kind of play out and come in cutting inside? Where would you play? Well, I haven't put myself in my best 11. So, but if, if I had, then I'd be pretty much just off a striker, I think. Um, so kind of like a 4-1-1 formation. Okay, so what I meant is in a modern day game, if you were still playing the loop and played the formation of just one up front, where would where or other clubs, where do you reckon you play? Yeah, uh, I, I'd always wanted to play off a striker, really, because I was never the quickest. So I'd kind of see myself as more of a number 10. Bit of a playmaker, bit of a Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, trying to try and get in little pocket holes, trying to pop it into the front, out wide, etc., etc. That's kind of my role, I think. Excellent, excellent. I, so, I agree. He was a clever player. He's a very clever, talented player. So I'd I'd probably agree with that, actually. And that's and that's some of the things which we don't always do, agree on things. They're right for <laughs> <laughs> No, I think we, we played in a, a different um I know that you spoke to Mick and Mike Newell and a few of the older guys, and they're they're kind of let's say late eighties, early nineties football, and we were kind of early nineties. Late 2000. Um, so a lot, lot of formations, a lot of different things have changed over the years. You know, looking at the way we played, uh, I think there would be a place in modern day football for how I play, how I, how I actually played the game. Because um, nowadays it's not a lot of uh, interchanging rather than just being a, 
a kind of structured 4-4-2. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So goalkeepers, let's have a let's have a go. Was this a, was this hard to do, Tony? Yeah, I I didn't play with many good goalkeepers. <laughs> um, they were all useless. Uh, no, that's not fair. Um, I think. <laughs> No, I was going to say, give, give, try and give us a, um, a couple of clues before you actually say who it is, if yeah, that's okay. So yeah, he played for Luton. Um, and to be fair, I was at Luton at quite a few spells. Um, and we had like Kelvin Davis, Jürgen Summer when I first started, uh, Alex Chamberlain. But I didn't get to play with those guys as much as this one. Um, he came on loan, I think, originally from West Ham. Um, and just hit it off straight away at, Lut- at Luton. Yeah. And we had a couple of really good seasons out of this, this goalkeeper. Um, so he stood a lot for me. You got it, Andrew? Is it Foyer? Ian Foyer? Yes, it is, yeah. 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 yeah I was going to say Andy Peterson. No. I, funny enough, that's another goalkeeper that we had at Luton. Um, I used to live across the road from him. He was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he wasn't like that bad. He wasn't that bad. Listen, uh, that's harsh. He was I always drunk, right? He was. That's true. That's true. That's true. Hold you see him walking up and down the street. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Listen, he went he, he went to Chelton from us, didn't he? Did he go to Chelton? Yeah, he did, yeah. He weren't bad, actually. I, I remember scoring can... against him when he was at Chelton for, for Luton, believe it or not, a long, long time ago. 96, I think, or 95. But, um, yeah, he, he wasn't Andy, but no, I, we, I chose Ian because Bob will know. Bob played um, in front of him. He, um, he was very uh, obviously six, seven. Marv was he? Yeah. So yeah, six seven. Yeah, six, big boy. Six seven, six seven. Yeah. Yeah, he could. He struck a ball okay. He, I thought he was quite brave. Um, took a lot of pressure off Marv, you know, and and the, and the defenders at that time. And he had he had a he was one of the crowd's favourites as well. Ian, I think the Luton fans absolutely loved him. And he had a spare our place where he was kind of untouchable, really, for a couple of seasons. Um, even kept Kelvin Davis out, I think, at one point. Yeah, he, he was. Um, he's very well. He's gonna, he's a, I speak to. I spoke to him. He's going to be a future guest actually on the podcast. But like, like you said, one of the biggest things which stood out for me was that he was brave. I know he's big, six foot seven. That helps with that size. But he used to really come flying out, and it was so intimidating, probably for like strikers like yourself, if you come out in, as a goalkeeper coming at you 100 mile an hour, especially the size that he was. And it, so he was very brave. But like you said, he, 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 he saves some real big saves, had some big saves for us in some, in, in some big games. Yeah, I mean, he played just quickly. He played um, in the season where we were by far the best team. Unfortunately, we just stumbled into the playoffs and the rest is history. But we 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 had a real strong team then, like you say yourself, Steve Davis, Grezzo and a few of the lads. But yeah, he was he was um, looking back at my career on regards goalkeepers. Um, I obviously played with quite a few of them over eight or nine league clubs, but he stood out for me. So yeah, Ian Fuhr definitely deserves to be in my number one. Excellent, excellent. So we'll move on to um, the defence, um, right backs, left backs, whichever one you prefer, Tony. Yeah, I'll start with right back. So this was an easy choice for me. Um, do you want me to give you a kind of a... a, a okay, no, Did he love dyeing his hair blonde? <laughs> I don't know if he... I can't remember. I think he might have done, actually. He did, yeah, he did, he did. He he did. did. As he in kind of full-on albino white blonde, I think he was for a while. <laughs> he was. Yeah, uh, this was the easiest choice ever for me. I've, I've played with some good fullbacks over the years, but Graham Alexander... 
for me was a touch above the rest. Funny enough, you say that. Terry Wesley brought him in from Scunthorpe, I think, and he actually struggled. And the Luton fans didn't take to Greza very well. Um, we, were, we were not the strongest team at that time, Marvel, we, when Terry came in. No, but funny enough, um, you saying that, when we had Greza on, he remembers, because he signed the same time as Steve, and he remembers being ushered into the away team dressing room. And I think at the time you was in there with the likes of, I mean, some other players who weren't quite in the first team. And he and it knocked his confidence, he said, because he had played over two games for Scumford. And coming there, it's a case where he's probably thinking, oh, maybe they don't fancy me. And maybe that, I think they said that, didn't he, Andrew? He said that it, yeah. he, didn't, he, had, he had to prove, him, prove himself to, obviously, the, the, the supporters and the staff. So that's probably why yeah. he struggled a little bit. Correct, Marv. I remember he, he really, if he looks back in his career, I wouldn't say Luton was one of the, the, the better clubs that he, he, he kind of performed at. It was more when he left Luton. But for me, we had two, two really good seasons out of Greza and by far the best right back I've ever played with. Technically, for a striker, when you've got your back to goal, you want good deliveries into the front. And he, he would never let you down. He was technically very good. Uh, and, and a really good defender. But, um, yeah, that was quite an easy choice for me, Graham Alexander. Great player. Yeah, fantastic. And he obviously went on to play for his country um, as well, playing for a number of times for Scotland and, and well-known as a penalty taker. What would you say your record was like as a penalty taker, Tony? Do you used to love the thrive on the penalties? or I did, yeah. Just going back to Greza quickly. I mean, I think he got 40 Scottish caps and made over 1,000 appearances in football. Yeah. I mean, you're not a bad player if, if you've got a... If you've got a record like that, you're right up there, and yeah. uh, he deserves all the credit he gets. And he, he's obviously gone done really well in in his managerial career as well. Uh, on regards penalties, I never missed for Luton. How many take one? I think I got twelve out of twelve for Luton. I think. <laughs> wow, that's a cracking yeah. record. Um, and I missed one for Bristol City, and I think I missed one for Swindon as well, which I weren't that bothered about, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean you wasn't that bothered about? That's not very nice, folks. No, I was joking, Mark. But yeah, I, I missed two. In, I think I missed two in my career. But I, my proud record is uh, Bristol City. I missed one, but obviously Luton. I didn't miss any for Luton, which was great. That's a cracking record, Mark. Do you ever take penalties for Luton? Yes, I I scored um, in the, the mad game. It was we had played Sheffield oh, United. We're oh, not talking about training. Sheffield United, no, Sheffield United, because you can't, you can't train against Sheffield United for B. It's, 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 a, it's a proper, proper game, you know. And we, we lost 6-3. We lost 6-3. And we had a, Gary Wallet got sent off. And there was me, Preecy, um, Kerry Dixon, I think, Mitchell. Um, there's some big players on there. And I'm thinking, no one wanted to take the penalty. No one wanted to take the penalty. So I said, no, I'll take it. And so I took it and scored. And so the, the next, not the next game, about I think about three or four games down the line, we're playing Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup. And in the first 10 minutes, we got a penalty. So again, no one else wanted So I took up, but I missed it. The keeper saved it, shall I say. Rather, I mean, I call it, I call it a miss when you miss a target. I don't know what Forby, being a striker, Forby's probably sick. It's still a miss, Marv. A miss, it didn't go in, Marv. A miss is a miss. But for me, the keeper saved it. Not everyone makes a keeper save the ball. So after that, I didn't get to take him anymore. Gutted. Marv, Marv, this ain't about you. It's about me. Yeah? 
I knew he'd say that. I see. I said. I said to Andrew. I said, I bet you, right? Within, I, I, well, I thought it's come soon. Actually, Andrew, it's come soon. He said it's going to be about him. I told you. No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking, Marv. I can't remember that game. No, you weren't playing for B. I think in the reserves then. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so left left backs. <laughs> yeah. Um, had two spells at Luton. Obviously, started as a, he's a Luton lad. I think. Um, Marv, me, and, me and Marv go back a long way with this guy and we've had some great memories, great times with him. Um, six foot three, went and played at the highest level. Um, not the quickest, but te- for me as a young lad coming through, I started on the left. I had to put Mitchell Thomas in at left back. I just thought his experience for me as a young lad was, um, was priceless for me to, to have the career that I had really. And he loved and he loved playing those little five yard passes, didn't he? So I mean, at the end of the day, <clears throat> I think anyone who like loves to play football would have someone like Mitchell in their team because, I mean, I, I mean, again, I, I I weren't sure if he could kick the ball over twenty yards anyway. If he had the energy, his legs were strong no, enough. I mean, it's quite funny play. actually, Marv, because Mitchell used to take not liberties, but Mitchell would take chances, very similar to yourself. Whereas you watch football now. 20 years beyond, they pass it out the back, they play little corners in the six-yard box, 18-yard box. That was missed 20-odd years ago when you used to get closed down high at the pitch. So he used to take those chances then, didn't he? No, he did, he did. It's true, it's true. And he, and he didn't care where he was or what, if whether he was getting closed down, he would always want the ball. Um, but for me, yeah, he was. I thought, I thought Mitch was a, a real good, strong left-back. Uh, and even left Luton and won the league with Burnley. So it just goes to show that, you know, he had such a good career at the highest level and obviously, you know, with us and Burnley. Tottenham, Tottenham, Tottenham with um, David Pelley, West Ham, yeah, as well. So he's had a great career. Yeah, for me, great career and a very intelligent footballer. And he's perfect for me because that's all I wanted to do, really, when when I first started. Definitely. The only person I will ask you about that isn't in there then is Matty Taylor. I didn't play much with Matty. He was a young lad coming through when I was kind of... your second stint, that's what I was thinking. Your second stint, do you play with Matty Taylor? Not in my second stint. Already left by the time you you came back second time around then? Yeah, Matty wasn't in the same... uh, Listen, it's only opinion. We live in in an opinionated game where some some, some ex-players like me would would rate certain players. Matt Taylor had a great career. Absolutely fantastic. (laughs) He wouldn't lace Mitchell's boots in my eyes. I know he, he played in the modern game and uh, the Premier League for Portsmouth, et cetera, et cetera, but not, not, not in the same league as Mitchell for me. More energy, quicker, definitely, but no, not for me. You, you say um, second stint, but didn't you come on loan twice? To, uh, for I think I did. It's four, t- it's, it's four times basically you played for the club. So, I mean... Yeah, I think I did play with Matt. And by the way, I'm not saying he's not a good player. Oh, no, we know that, yeah. Very good player. Um, great left foot, great energy up and down. He was your modern day left back, um, kind of around about late 90s, early 2000s. So, yeah, really good player. But for me, as a footballer, uh, and I played with Mickey Bell at Bristol City and he, he was a very good left back. So, yeah. you know, really good left back. So, yeah, not, not for me, Matty, on this occasion, I'm afraid. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, centre-backs, who, who caused... This would be quite an interesting one for you because obviously being a striker um, and who made it hard for you in training or and or then who also played very well on the pitch? 
Yeah, um, as a, if I can name centre-halves that I struggled against, they, funny enough, were the smallest ones. So I struggled personally against Eddie Howe. I struggled against Chris Perry on a couple of occasions. So anybody that was big, tall and aggressive, I felt like I had one over on them. But when I played against somebody my size, I normally struggled because they get quite tight, they get aggressive. They don't need to win headers against me. They weren't looking to out, you know, physically beat me up, I suppose, in them days. But for me, I struggled against those kind of players rather than anybody big and tall and strong and aggressive. I, f I, find, I found back in my career that I, I played well against them type of players. Oh, interesting, interesting. And, and how, was it, how was it playing against Marvin um, in training? Tough. Yeah, we. Oh, we, we uh, sorry to interrupt. Sorry, oh, sorry to interrupt you there. <laughs> sorry to Marvin. interrupt you there. But go on, I'm going for it. Go on, folks. I was just about to say, Marv had Marv. You, Marv was the only centre half I played with in my whole career who had a fantastic career at Luton, where you didn't know what he was going to do, and that was for me just unbelievable as a centre half. Normally, they used to put their foot for it. Marv would shake, drop a shoulder. <laughs> To try a leg over in the 18-yard box, he decides to pass it, pass it out wide. He pop it into the middle. He just had so much ability for a centre half. I, I was going to say, I remember playing against Forpy. Not, it was not, not, not just in training. In training, I used to just really try and rough him up because I knew, obviously, 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 his quality. He had his feet and he's and he kept like doing his little jink and all that stuff. I knew I'd be in trouble, so I used to like get really. I know he says he found physical players who were easier, but. I think because he knew me when we were in training, I'd, I'd be like hitting him. Because what are you doing, Marv? Marv. What? So I knew once he started saying moaning, what are you doing, Marv? He wasn't on his game. So that that was my advice. But I actually played against him when he was at I think it was Bristol City. Yeah, that's good. A, a night game. Yeah, I wasn't marking you then. You just that's one. That's one. So <laughs> one minute. The one. The one time you got away with me, got away from me. But um, I remember playing um, a night game. It was as well. And like you just said there, I knew. I could just do a trick or whatever. I could take liberties with you because you it wasn't you wasn't really gonna really press and close me down. Yeah. So I thought to myself, I can start our attacks with four with four people in their team. I can start our attacks. It's very it's really difficult, Andrew, playing against players that you've played with in the past. I found that really difficult. So I played you kind of when you've had a few few clubs, you obviously come across players that you've played against. And I found that sometimes really difficult because they knew you strengths and weaknesses. Uh, very similar to Marv. Is it again? Yeah, very similar to yourself. You knew people's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, so when of course. You know somebody and they don't know how you play. You find it easier, but you know if somebody knows your 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 kind of little niches of what how you do things. I think I find that really tough. And when I played against my ex teammates in the past, I've probably struggled a little bit. Oh, interesting, interesting. So centre backs, him. We we digress yes. a little bit. Who have you gone for? Yeah, yeah. So I went with. Um, the left side, left side, I went with Chris Coleman. Oh, wow. Was that a Bristol City? Fulham, no, no. Oh, Fulham, he was a, of course. Yeah, he was, um, he was a Rolls Royce of a centre-half. Never gave the ball away. Never, ever looked like he was in a sweat. He played the game at his, at his level at all times. Um, very, very similar to Marv. A bit more probably mobile than Marv. And probably a bit more, I don't know, probably a bit more aggressive than Marv in the terms of reading the game, but for me, just silky center off. Honestly, Marv, he was just... Man mountain. He was a man mountain. He was. He was six foot plus. He was quick. He was... His legs were huge. Massive, I know. 
but he was such a and he's such a great guy as well. You want to play for him. But um Cookie for me as a left-sided centre half just breezed the game. He actually found it too easy when I was at Fulham and it caught him out quite a bit at that level because you know what it's like, Marv. They have no respect at the lower level. Mm. When you start at the high level, they probably have a bit more respect for you. But at the lower level, he had like players from York and players like that running him into the ground. And he just found it probably a little bit too easy. Yeah, yeah. So well, you were there when Fulham um, were just taken over by Al Fayed? I was trying to work yeah. it out. Um, he was Keegan's first signing, weren't you? Keegan's very first signing, I think. No, no, I think he'd yeah. had, he had signed Chris before me uh, from Blackburn for 2.5 million. Uh, and then he signed Paul Pescolido um, and I think another big signing. I think he, I think I was like his third or fourth big signing at that level. And what was that like, um, playing under Keegan at Fulham? Yeah, Kevin, I've bumped into Kevin a few times um, before I retired and he's a great guy. Um, an OK manager, I think, you know, he's, he's kind of, he's obviously managed at the very highest level. But for me, uh, I played under better managers than Kevin, but he's such a great guy and a great inspiration in the dressing room. Um, and I enjoyed my short spell at Fulham with him. Was, it, yeah. was, he, was he like how he was at Newcastle? I presume he was for most of his career as a manager. It seemed that it was like attack, attack, attack. We'll score more goals than you. Yeah, I remember us getting beat. Um, I think we played Millwall, Millwall at home, um, one of my first games. Um, and, uh, you know, it didn't take lightly. He struggled that his team would get beat at that level of football. Um, and that was the difference between him. He's always been at the highest level, so when you kind of drop down, he's obviously trying to put a real good, expensive team together, um, obviously without finances. And for me, um, he just he struggled, um, you know, in the terms of getting to grips with that level of football. Interesting. Oh, interesting. And Chris Carl Mosey is Rolls-Royce centre-back. Who goes next to yeah. um, Keegan's Rolls-Royce? This, this, again, was an easy easy decision. I played with a guy called um, Lewis Carey who made 646 appearances for Bristol City. He's their all-time uh, highest um, um, appearance maker. He actually beat a guy called Johnny Attio, has a stand named after him. So Lewis was, uh, he was very similar to Chris, not as silky, but he was aggressive. He was technically very, very good, read the game really well. And uh, one of the, by far, one of the best centre-halves I've ever played with. Interesting, because, um, I mean, again, it's your 11. I mean, Steve Davis, would he be close? Would he have been close? Yeah, Steve, Steve was close. Um, I've played with some really good centre-halves, Marv, but I just think Lewis, yeah. you know, I played four years with him and, and he's right. another player that was an eight out of ten every single week. You know what they're like, Marv? They're ones that you yeah. a bit like... Um, a bit like a Gary Waddock. wouldn't it wouldn't be a fan's favourite, but he'd give you everything. Well, Lewis was right. very similar. He was an, he was a eight out of ten, and to make six hundred and forty six appearances for one club, I, I don't know how many you got for Luton, but no, that was a nowhere near. Years. Yeah, you know, career, uh, and he was a, he's now academy coach at Southampton, doing really really well. So he's on that managerial kind of ladder, and there's no there's and why Lewis won't in the next couple of years. You know, you, you might see him at a, a lower level managing. Really good player. Oh, excellent, excellent. Sounds interesting. So, um, what we'll do is we'll pause it there and we'll come back after a short ad break from our sponsors. Thank you for listening to My Best Living Pod. We are currently accepting applications for advertisement and sponsorships. You can reach us 
at mybestlivingpod or mybestlivingpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Excellent. So we're back for part two of Tony Thorpe's Best Eleven. Um, so far, we've got Ian Foyer, Mitchell Thomas, Graham Alexander, Chris Coleman, and Lewis Carey. So we're moving across into midfield. Um, so um, obviously, we'll start off on the wings. Um, Tony, um, start off on uh, right wing. Who have you gone for on right wing? Yeah, so looking at my team, I've kind of picked three or four from Luton, three, three or four from, you know, my old clubs, Bristol City, and then obviously a couple from QBR, which you'll know about in further down the line. But I had to choose this guy, a guy called Scott Murray. Um, absolute flying winger for Bristol City. Um, made 300, 400 appearances for the club. Still works there now. What a player. Left foot, right foot. He was brilliant for me because you could pop it into a centre forward and you take a touch and reverse him in behind and he'd be gone. The quickest thing I'd ever seen. If I'd have played with Scotty all my career, I'd have finished on 400 goals. He was that good. He'd literally pick you out. He'd get in behind so often. Um, a great lad, been a great servant to Bristol Football Club. He had to be in my 11. Um, and like I said, if, he, if he'd have played with me throughout my whole career, I'd have been on 400 goals. He was that good. He was so, like you just said, he was so quick. I, I really was like amazed how quick he was because his legs I mean he's like lightning he was lightning pace didn't he he was can you remember when he was at school Marv and like if he wasn't very quick was there was always somebody in the in the playground that was and you used to kick it around the player and get to the other side I've seen him once this at Ashton Gate where the guys gave him 15 yards and he's actually kicked it so he's 15 yards away because he knows he's got pace yeah He's actually kicked it around in Marv and got around the other side and crossed it. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. He was that quick. But it, it wasn't just his pace, Marv. He made intelligent runs. Yeah, he did. And he, I think he scored nearly, I think it was something like 80, 90 goals for Bristol over like a 10, 12, 13 year career. So, right. honestly, he was a dead cert for me. And I played with some good wingers as well. Berkovich yeah. was a really intelligent footballer, but he had no pace, Berkey. But right. um, lots of good right and side players but yeah he was miles ahead of everybody else oh interesting so um was he selfish yes yeah who scott or me yeah yeah <laughs> no you are <laughs> no um scott he, no yeah he was he was selfish andrew yeah he, he 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 just had tunnel vision so every time i mean he was brilliant for me and, and, and i'm sure he'd speak we we really linked up really well together and, and lots of teams knew that so as long as they stopped the ball into me um uh, we would stop the service into him because all I knew is if I got half a yard, I'd be reversing it in behind and he'd be gone. So, you know, most teams that we played at Ashton Gate would play a bit deeper. So there wasn't any space in behind for Scotty. But like I said, he could quite easily pick it up and run at you as well. But he got lots of goals and he, and he obviously put loads of goals on the plate for me as well. But honestly, I've not seen, we don't see wingers anymore in football. It's changed, but especially at the highest level. Um, he was a proper old-fashioned winger that would get his feet on the pitch line and literally go after his fullback. And there's not many of them around anymore. He's, he's kit man, isn't he now, isn't it? Is yeah. he kit man? Yeah, kit man at, the, at Bristol. Yeah. yeah. I saw yeah, that. That's a great, great memory. Man. That's a great knowledge, Marv. That's real in-depth lower league knowledge, <laughs> that is. Marv? <Well, laughs> no, but it's this Twitter, isn't it? Twitter. When you're on Twitter, you yeah, see loads yeah, of different Twitter. stuff. Going on from different people. Yeah, yeah he's got a job that. there for life. I think they want a testimonial for him um, in the next couple of years. He's been there quite a long time. You know, him, him and Lewis Carey have been there since early nineties. 
a long time. Do you know what I mean? So very long. Yes, it is. So left wing, who you gone for on left side? Left side. Right, I went for another Bristol City legend. I went for a guy called Brian Tinian. Don't know if you'd know him. Yeah, of course. Everyone knows. He scored at Liverpool that goal, didn't he? Yeah, Brian Tinian was. I've never seen. A, if I've got Mitchell and Brian on that left hand side, right, and then Scotty would have a field day. Please believe me, because none of them. <laughs> but um, Brian Tinian. For me, me and Marv spoke about it many a time, where if you play with really clever footballers, it makes your job easier. And for me, we had a telepathic understanding um, that whenever he got the ball, I would come in short and drop it in behind and vice versa. He was unbelievable. He had a left foot like I've never seen in my life. He could pick you out from 30 yards, 40 yards. He could drill it into you. And his work rate was immense, even though he wasn't the quickest. We used to have him and a guy called Mickey Bell on the left. Mickey was really quick, but you just give it to Tins and he'd pick passes out all day long. He had, a, he had an absolute wonder of a left foot. I remember, yeah, dude, I remember him, because like I said, you mean his left foot was like unmobile. I mean, and he was so left-footed. I don't think he used his right, did he? But no, that's how never. good he was. He could, he could manipulate the ball and move it to, so he was always in the correct position to use his left foot. Yeah, I mean, they talk about players in, in this generation, um, as we've kind of alluded on that football's changed. Tins couldn't sprint. He was fit. He could he'd win every con uh, cross-country pre-season. He was unbelievable. But sharpness and pace, he would never beat a man or anything like that. He'd just half a yard and he'd pick you out. There's been some great players over the years, very similar to Tins. But um, what, a, what a left foot, what a player. I couldn't speak more highly of him. I, again, he was, I, had, I had Brian on the left and Scotty on the right. I'd a, you know, I've got a real proud record at Bristol City. But without them two, Marv, I, I, I think I'd have really struggled. They were that good. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I was looking it up about Bristol City uh, when I was doing some research and looking at the number of players that have played over 100 games. Um, and you're, you're, you sit really highly, particularly in that kind of 90s, um, late 90s era, um, and kind of that group of players. Um, and it was really, really impressive, the goal-scoring record as well, when you, when you scroll through them. Not the kind of players who played five, six, ten games and been on loan or something like that, but played a decent number of games. It's incredible to see your, your record there. Um, I didn't realise you, you, you had such great times there. Um, and it kind of slipped by a lot of Luton fans that we know about your moves to QPR, your moves to Fulham, but maybe Bristol City kind of got a bit lost in the, on the way for us. Yeah, I enjoyed my time in Bristol. Um, I had four fantastic years there. I struggled to break into the team um, when I first got there. They got moved into the, they got promoted into the championship. Uh, and I don't think a Tony Thorpe, a young Tony Thorpe, who's not flavour of the month, back in the day, and Marv will tell you this, probably sulked a little bit. So instead of rolling my sleeves up and really having a go, I'd probably sulk a little bit and not give my all when I was a young boy. But, um, you know... My record at Bristol stands up to most. I think two goals in 120 games, and people forget that. And I always say to players playing at the lower level or even the highest level, it's always difficult, Marv, to, top strikers will tell you this, to move from club to club and still score a lot of goals. It's all right staying at one club and getting 50, 60 goals. You actually score 60-something goals at one club and then move on and get another 60 and then move on and get another 30. That's harder to do for me. So I'm quite proud of my record at uh, Ashton Gate. Who, was, who signed you there? Who was the manager, Bristol City? John Ward. John Ward originally. And then he got sacked after about five or six games. Uh, well, is that because he didn't play you? <laughs> no. We, 
he signed me and um, me and Aidy Akinbai on the same day. Oh, okay. Yes. So, did Adi get him get involved in the game? Was he playing yeah, straight away? Did Adi Adi Akinbai? Yeah, did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's a, a big, strong boy, Adi. Um, technically not the greatest, but real, uh, honestly, a man mountain. He'd run through yeah. walls. Um, I played a few games, obviously, and then they got rid of him. And then Tony Pulis came in, which was a real bad, real bad time because he's from around the corner at Bristol Rovers. So he, the Bristol City fans didn't sit well with him. And then Danny Wilson came in, and obviously Danny did a great job, stabilised the club, um, and built quite a good young team. How did you get? How did you get on with Pulis? No, no, I didn't think. I was, in my head, I was thinking. He, he probably didn't, but let me ask the question anyway. Why? Uh, me, me and Tony, I bumped into Tony on a few occasions and he's been quite complimentary of me, but as a footballer, I wasn't his type. Let's, let's... Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, we'll move into central midfield. Yeah, there's two players, um, both from Luton, uh, that I've chose. One of them was, I couldn't leave this guy out at all because as a young lad coming into the first team, when Marv, Mitchell, um, or Kerry Hughes, all these good players that have played at that level for a few years well before me. Um, Priestley, for me, David Priest, Mini, as a young lad watching him and actually getting an opportunity to play a handful of games with him, I had to put him in. He was an absolute little genius, honestly. He was like Brian Tinian, really, but he was, he'd work. Marv Mar will tell you this, Mini worked so hard, didn't he, Marv? He didn't care how big he was playing against. He'd go and compete. He'd go and get his tackles in. Whereas Tins really wasn't like that. He tried, Tins. Don't get me wrong. He'd put his effort in. Min would run around all game, putting his foot in, trying to win his headers. He, fought, he was like five foot seven when he marked. He was only little. Yeah. It's tiny, yeah, Minnie. Hence his name, yeah. When I watched him, I didn't realise how good he was until I actually played a few games with him. Marv saw a lot more of him than me, but he had to be in that eleven. Yeah, I mean, he, he makes my team. Like you said, he was a little genius. And like, I, I, was, I think I've mentioned it before, he, he loved a Meg, didn't he? He loved a Meg, oh not God. Meg. Yeah, I mean, Pleaty used to put him on every set piece because he literally would put it right where you wanted it. He was clever. He, oh my, he, he was just unbelievable for me. Just to, when I was 19, I used to watch. I didn't break into the first team that many times. And I used to watch Pleaty every week, even though I was you know, a more of an attacking kind of player. But until I actually made a few games, played a few games more, what a player he was. He had to be in there for me. Had yeah. to be in there. Yeah, did he, did he direct you as a young player coming through? Obviously, he was <clears throat> coming towards the end of his career. Um, did he direct you where you should be running? Or what, what, how did it work in terms of its experience with you? <clears throat> yeah, um, Priest, we had a real tough school, Andrew. And I mean, Marv will tell you this. A proper tough school. We, you couldn't walk into the first team dressing room. And if you did, you'd get 13 lads staring at you, wondering why you've even walked in there. Whether you was bringing a pro a cup of tea, whether you're bringing them boots. The respect that you had for these players was immense. So it was only right for me to listen to players like that. And I wasn't very good at listening at all. Still not. Uh, you still know. No, probably not. But... <laughs> It, it was a tough school, Marv, wasn't it? Them Luton days. A proper tough school. Yeah, it was. It was. To break into the first team, you had to be something special to break into that team. I'm not saying I was, because I wasn't, but you had to be a good player because you'd get found out really quickly, Marv, wouldn't you? I think the players, I mean, and it's, it's no different, really. I mean, I'm guessing today. I think players know players. Even though, obviously, some clubs spend a lot of money 
on strikers or whatever player. It's still the, the ownership comes when the players decide whether or not if they've got the, I mean, if this player can play. It doesn't matter if you've cost six million or 600 grand. At the end of the day, you have a little bit of a keep ball session and the ball's bouncing off you or whatever. You're, I mean, it's nerve wracking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Think, what the hell are we? What, what the hell are we brought here? What the hell? Do you know what I mean? So, the players really do put you in good esteem of where you are judged as a player. I mean, I'm sure they do this now, but they used to test you, didn't they, Marv? You know, like in yeah. people stuff like that. And you'd, I mean, the answer to your original question, Andrew, is yes, Priestley did help me. But what I'm trying to get at is a lot of the pros in the team at that time, if you wasn't good enough, you'd get found out really quickly. But if you was, they'd put their arm around the shoulder and they'd try and help you. All, all the players did, not just Priestley. But yeah, tough school. They'd, they'd be drilling balls into you. You'd give the ball away two or three times and you'd know about it, wouldn't you, Marv? Yeah. You know, I mean? you know the, 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 it's a dying breed. Players now are obviously a little miles different compared to what they were like, you know, in the, in the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, and even probably mid-90s. But for me, I learned the best way, which is get on with it, you know, roll your sleeves up. And uh, if, you're, if you're part of this squad, you have to prove to us that you're good enough. And that's kind of how it was with it, Marv. Yeah. So who, who are you an apprentice to? I was apprentice at Leicester. Yep. With some fantastic players there. And then I got released and David brought me straight to Luton at 18. Um, eight, I think I was 18 years old when I, when I came to Luton. So... Yeah, so I was an apprentice at Leicester under Brian Little and um, Alan Evans. Remember them, Marv? Yeah, 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 yeah. Villa, Aston Villa connection. Yeah, John uh, Gregory, so, Alan Evans, and Brian Little, great guys. So really was, you, was you there? Was you there as a kid? From what age at Leicester? Yeah, so right through from eight, right through to eight. Playing in the, I never knew that. Right eight from eight to uh, being apprentice, and then obviously then getting released. What what what, what, what was that like? What did they say? They just said you. Like we're not going to give you a pro, or you're not, or you're too small, or what? what yeah, what was so the conversation? I'd, um, I can always remember the first year in as an apprentice, I did really well, and then the second year, I picked up a bit of a bad ankle injury playing for the reserves. So I broke into the reserves, um, and Brian Little pulled me one day, and he just said, "Unfortunately, we've got um, Julian Joachim who was coming through." Time. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to take a chance on you at this time. It wasn't anything to do with your ability and stuff like that. You just hadn't seen enough. But funny enough, I was speaking to Marcus Bignett about, about two years ago, and he said that he was at a dinner with him, and one of the questions was, who have you ever let go in your football career that you regretted? And he actually came out and said, I, I let go a young lad called Tony Thorpe from Leicester, and he said it was, and that, which was a nice thing for him to say, and he said he went on and had a, a not bad career. It's nice of Brian to acknowledge me for that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. But it's it such a go. It's like anything in 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 them days, Marv. It, it was fifty fifty, really, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? And you are. I mean, a chance of moving on and doing something, or you just, or you went and found a job, I suppose. I mean, I, again, not knocking. Obviously, Brian Lilk is all about opinions, but I remember when you first come to Luton, when obviously, and, and, and you know yourself, please, no idiot. He's not a fool. As soon as he probably, because yeah. he knew every single league, he knew every single player. As soon as he probably heard that you had been released, bang. He, he, he literally got you there straight away. And <clears throat> within the first week, within the first day, we saw, we I saw what ability you had. And I found it really, really hard how you didn't get anything at Leicester. And obviously, Plea obviously thought the same thing because hence why he went and got you there straight away. And the rest is history. 
Yeah, David, you're, you're spot on about David. Obviously, I owe all my career to David, full stop. That's as simple as that, really. Give me an opportunity. A young lad from Leicester, getting on a train on my own, coming down to Luton. I've never been to uh, a career. I, I think he just saw, he saw some. He saw my best. When you're a first-year apprentice, I actually did really well. And I think he saw a lot of me in that year. And then he got sacked. And then, um, then obviously, he decided to bring me in to see how I was. So I got lucky, I suppose. I mean... Again, not trying to dwell on it too long, but like you said, David was one of those ones. He, when I, even when I when I got signed as a, an apprentice, he used to come to nearly every single youth team game as a and that's a first team manager. That, that, and that's big now for me because I think maybe people might say, well, managers haven't got the time now to do it. But realistically, if you want to make the time, I think you can always get to see your your academy team at some point and. David was one of the biggest ones, in my opinion, who always went and watched the youth team whenever he could. Yeah, David went to watch games every day, Marv, didn't he? Every day, wherever it was, whether it was Colchester, whether it's Hull, he would always go and watch a game. You know, his love for the, the, the football and probably still is was right up there. But, um, yeah, good times. Oh, definitely. And do you, oh, this is quite an interesting one in terms of um, your love for your first club. Um, and I know Miles would be different because he came through Luton and always stayed at Luton. Do you wish you could ever got to play for Leicester? Or is it something which, and, and is, it, is it important? Obviously, you're from Leicester. But is it also important you kind of wish you could have gone back there and gone, do you know what? I can make it. I have made it after they let you go. Um, no, not really. No, I was, never, I was never one for looking back. Yeah, it's my home club. I think I got my own back on a little bit. Marv played in the game where we went to Filbert Street and we drew one all. Remember that, Marv? Yeah. When, we, when Lenny was manager and I scored, I scored a really good goal. We ended up drawing one all. Very good goal. And I ended up scoring at Filbert Street in front of my family. That was more important to me than actually proving to Leicester that I was good enough to play. Because I've got to be honest with you, Andrew, at the time I probably wasn't good enough. Um, but I have no regrets on my hometown club. But no, I have no regrets. I kind of call Luton's probably my first club. So that's going to be for me what I look back on when I'm, when I'm grey and old. Probably right now, I think. <laughs> so that's who you look for in the press then? Every, every, or on BBC or whatever, that's who you look for on Sky Sports on a Saturday? Yeah, no, not just Luton. That'd be unfair for me to sit here and lie. I look at all my old clubs. I don't... The, I played, for, I played for, for Luton for many years and had the best time of my life there. Played for four years at Bristol City. Couldn't, you know... I, I enjoyed my time there. I had two fantastic years at Queen's Park Rangers. So they're the three clubs, really. And then, obviously, I'm, I, I still look at Fulham's results. I'd say they're the four clubs, really, that if I was to pick up a paper or pick the news on, they're the clubs that I'd be looking to. Hopefully, they'll do well. I want them clubs to do well. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So, other central midfielder next to Preecy. You gone for a hard nut? I have a playmaker in Preecy. Probably a bit of a surprise to Marv. So, I don't... I've played with a lot of great midfield players at these three or four clubs that I've just mentioned. But for me, um, Luton, this, this player's obviously well thought of at Luton Town Football Club. It's one of their most uh, successful captains. Marv's really close friends with him. Kevin Nichols wouldn't even know that I'd put him in my team. But Nico, when I look back to, um, yesterday and today, some of the players I played with, Nico trained how he played, didn't he, Marv? Yeah, yeah. He never, he never went on a pitch and played and gave you 100%. He trained like that. He literally trained like that. And do you know what? A lot of people don't give him credit for how good he was, when he mocked. 
technically really smart. And looking at his successful time at Luton and the year, and I only had a year and a bit with him. He, he stood out for me. He got stuck in. He was aggressive, but he could really play. Um, and I know that the Luton fans think very highly of him. And for me, he'll go down as an absolute legend at the club. He, um, he had to get in the team for me. I'm that right-hand side next to Preece. It's a good, good, good combination, actually, um, Nico and Preece. But like you said, I think a lot of people don't give Nico the credit of like how good a player he was. He was a real, real, real top player, like he said, and he trained literally how he played. I mean, 100% every single time. I mean, I never always saw eye to eye with Nico um, when I first came to Luton. Um, we, we speak now. I mean, it wasn't only last year, Marv. We had a bite to eat, didn't we? And he's a great yeah. lad. So much time for him. But I never always saw eye to eye with him and he probably didn't always see eye to eye with me. I think we were quite strong characters in a dressing room. Um, and, but for me, you know, I'd have to tip my hat off to him. Not only how successful he's been, but people forget he was a talented, very talented young man. And if he hadn't had his knee injuries, Marv, there's... Yeah. So he would have gone and played a, few, a lot, lot more years and got more um, recognition than he's already had for me. Definitely. I agree. I I agree. So you've got in there Nichols, Coleman and Carey, um, obviously alongside others. Who do you have as captain? Uh, my skipper would be, would be Cookie, uh, Chris Coleman. Yeah, Cookie was uh, a good skipper, good leader. There's quite a few leaders on there. Nico would be close. Um, but for me... Um, it would be between the three, really. I'd, I'd say it would be between Lewis, uh, Cookie, and obviously Nico. But uh, yeah, Chris Coleman for me was a proper skipper and a good leader. Cookie, you keep saying Cookie. What's Cookie from? That's his nickname. Chris, his nickname, Chris Coleman. He, we used to call him Cookie. Where'd that come from? God knows. I never <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to get. I'm, I'm going to throw a guess in there. But is, is it to do with the Cookie Monster? It probably, yeah, because he looks like him. <laughs> That's what I, that's what I think it is. It is. Yeah. And then the, the cookie monster on the, um, what was that yeah. cereal? Oh, um, sugar puffs. Honey, honey uh, sugar puffs, yeah. that's it. Sugar puffs. I yeah. think that's where, that's where it come from. I he think. He's a big guy as well, co- yeah. uh, cookie calling. That's yeah. where it come from, cookie. Sure. Yeah, that was his nickname, yeah, cookie. Oh, excellent, excellent. So we're now moving to our strike force. Now, you've alluded you haven't picked yourself, but you are allowed to. Um, Marv said you would. Did he? If there's one man who's going to pick himself, you said you was going to pick yourself to me yesterday. You no, lied. no, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, did you not? Oh, okay. No. All right. No, I mean, if I had a choice to pick myself, this this guy would be close to to kind of mirroring what kind of player I was and what he was. So I'm going to go for I'm going to go for Kevin Gallen at QPR, and this for me because I played with some of the best strikers over the years. Some really lots of strikers. Um, People like Steve Howard, obviously John Hartson, Kerry Dixon, Oaksy, um, Lee Peacock. Uh, honestly, so many great centre forwards in the past. But for me, Kev Gallen, when I went to QPR, he was probably in his... I was 30 and I think he was 30, the same age as me. So we're both kind of like in our kind of peak of our career. But, um, Kevin started really young at QPR, played at the highest level, so strong. Technically really good, scored goals, uh, good link-up play, Marv, could hold yep. it up, uh, really intelligent. He had to be up there for me. Um, really tough decision, but yeah, put Kevin ahead of me. He'd be happy with that. 
<laughs> he, he'd be delighted with that. He'd, he'd probably have a, a few things to say about it. Again, um, another person trying to hopefully to come on air at some point, but he comes from a big, long background of gallons. And I mean, it's, it's, it was in their family, wasn't it? A lot of players, um, brothers yeah. and stuff. And I think he yeah. was quite young and ended up obviously getting the benefit of being maybe one of the younger ones and coming through and learn a lot, a lot of those sort of players. So, yeah, I've, I've, I get another excellent player as well. Yeah, top lad, um, real top player. Uh, I had some great times with Kevin, but you don't realise how good these players are until you actually physically play with them. Uh, obviously, you hear a lot about Kevin, you know, with his younger days, um, playing at QPR with Les Ferdinand and players like that. But he was that good, man. He was that good. He was. Solid. He was solid. Um, you know, he, he was pretty quick in his younger days as well, so he could get across the grass. Obviously, yeah. as you older, you slow down. But all-round all footballer for me um, and uh, a, gr a great lad. I had to put him in. Oh, he's a good, good lad. So, um, you've got Kevin Gallon in there, obviously QPR time. Um, you play QPR um, amongst other stadiums. Um, QPR is kind of, I always think it's, it's a slightly bigger version, but very similar to Luton um, in terms of Kenilworth Road, in terms of the atmosphere at night games. Where would you say the best ground is you ever played at? Uh, for atmosphere or you mean for atmosphere yeah for atmosphere and, and that can be kind of either of intimidation or on your side I suppose yeah I remember playing at Millwall at 19 that was intimidating for me at the old ground um, again I think Marv played in the game I can't remember if we, I've played at Millwall many a times in my career um, at the new end but I've also played at the old one I think Marv definitely would yeah. have played as a young 19 year old that's the scariest I've ever been can you remember they used to have the two cages, Marv? As you yeah, walk that's it, yeah, that's it, yeah, yeah. And you used to get young kids, no older than 13, 14, shaking it, screaming yeah. at you, telling you what they're going to do to you and spitting at you. And it was absolutely vile. I was a 19-year-old myself thinking, oh, my God, what is going on here? So intimidation, definitely not the new den. I'm sure that is now, but uh, the old den. Um, was really, really intimidating. Atmosphere-wise, probably Stoke away. Great atmosphere at Stoke. Um, their supporters are all in, always in high, high voice. But as grounds go, I've played at most, um, most grounds throughout the Football League. Uh, I'd have to say Norwich was one of my favourites, Marv. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I don't know why. Not the biggest. I just yeah. liked it. Fact, the pitch was always nice back in the day. It was. Um, Quite a friendly atmosphere, so you never really got any any shit. To be fair, um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed playing at Norwich. I've never scored at Norwich either, but it's just one of them really? grounds. Yeah, it's middle. Of, it's, I think it's because it's the middle of nowhere, and the only really people who can who will go to the game are the people Norwich supporters because it's just like yeah. out there, isn't it? There's, it's not <clears> yeah. near anywhere. So I mean. I don't know. I mean, going back to the Millwall thing, like you said, that's the big thing. I remember the, the cage as you as you walk out, and like you said, there was like this spat. They obviously abuse and like again, it's 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 generations of generations, and I think they're just, they're just set in their own ways because, like you mentioned, the fourteen year old kids. I mean, I can remember being there and getting abused and all sorts of stuff coming out. But you could just see the. I mean, just look into the crowd, and you could see the different generations from granddad, dad, son, just like, and they're yeah. just, oh, you, like, abuse. And, it's, and that's why it's, I mean, I think, again, not wanted to di go digress and go away things, but, like, they talk about racial abuse. It's, the, it's I mean, it's, it's within the family. Once you mean... You, yeah, of course, and, and, I agree. And you can't... You, I, like, I've spoke about it before when I had a 
another podcast with Andrew. I don't blame obviously these these young kids. It's because obviously they're older. It's just it's just, just doing what they're taught. It's like if you have children, Absolutely. you're showing them how to walk. Then they're just following what their parents are doing. I remember saying, I think I remember turning around and Kerry you saying, <laughs> there was like 10 and 11 year olds giving me the worst abuse ever. And they were literally that close, Marth, that close mm-hmm. to me. I'm trying to keep my head straight and they're shaking it and so on and so on. And I turned around to Kerry and I think I said to him, where's their parents? <laughs> he turned around to me and went, they don't need parents. We go, they are the parents. I mean, that's what he said to me. That's what he said to me. They are the parents. Well, they probably are. Par- they probably are parents. They've probably got kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. But no, yeah. um, intimidation definitely Millwall. But played at some great grounds, better grounds in Norwich, I'm sure. But I just enjoyed playing at Norwich. Like I said, even though I never scored there, uh, West Brom, Ashton Gate's a great place to play. There's so many. Um, I like the tight knit grounds. I used to like playing at Cardiff, Union Park as well. So yeah, lots lots of grounds um, that I've enjoyed playing at. Excellent. Awesome. So striker, who's next to Kevin Gallant? Yeah, this, this was the toughest for me. I, I, I had to go round and round in circles. I think I mentioned quite a few guys earlier. People like, um, we knew John Hartson was going to be an absolute dream of a centre forward. Um, Kerry Dixon and players like that were coming to the end of their careers when I was starting. So not anybody like that. Um, I played with Chris Lumu, who was decent at Colchester, big, strong centre forward. There's so many. But for me, I had to go for Paul Furlong, Marv. Okay. Uh, When I came to QPR, he was 35, I was 30, he was 35, 36. He looked like a (laughs) 20-year-old, the strongest guy I've ever come across in training. He could leave one on you as well. He was never worried in training or in a game. He great finisher, could strike balls. He was so aggressive in the air. He could run. Marv, he was 35, 36. He was quick. And an absolute proper professional. He's the, he's the best professional I've ever come across in my life. Really? He, the, he drank the right things. He looked after his body. He trained well. He worked hard. He was unbelievable. I could not speak more highly of Paul Furlong. Him and Kev Gavin up front were absolutely in different different league. And he, did, he, did he play for Luton as well? Did he come to yeah, Luton, he did. Furlong? Yeah, he did. Yeah, did he? yeah for a season. Yeah, for a season. Yeah, and he, and he played he for the. Um, he could have been old, Marth. He played. He played for Luton, and I know he played for the yellow team as well because I remember playing yeah. against him down the road. He played for them as well. He played for Watford. Yeah, he was at Chelsea, wasn't he? Watford. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know what he was like to play against Marth, but he was unbelievable. Oh, yeah, he was a handful. He, he, like he was a handful. into him, absolute handful, and literally he'd get hold of it, and he'd have two players with him. He could get hold of it. He'd use his body well. He scored goals, Marv, as well. Like you said, I mean, I don't think he was—he wasn't dirty, but he'd leave one on you. But like, he'd be aggressive and he'd compete and he'd battle. But um, he—he he was a nice guy, a really nice guy as well. Yeah, when I've seen him, guy, guy, great a really professional. Nice guy. He would—he would head up my eleven um, top top centre forward. Like I said, I played with some really good guys, some that I've mentioned. But Paul, uh, I had kind of two seasons with Paul. Uh, second year, got a bit injured, but. He was just—he was just immense to play up front with. And that is—I mean, I know you played with them at Luton, but both him and Gannon both played for Luton, so that's that's, that's interesting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Both, both those yeah, two. I mean, that, the, the sad thing is that Kevin and Paul came to Luton towards their end of their career, so they wouldn't yeah. have been Luton fans wouldn't um, 
wouldn't sit there and say what great players Kevin and Paul were at Luton. No, no, that's true. But you mean... They that they were top players back in the day. And I'm going back to 2003 to five, which is when I left Luton. That's the year where I where Paul Furlong was was literally untouchable as a centre forward. I mean, we got promoted right. that year. He was by far the best player in the league. We, and going back to what you just said about the fans not knowing, we spoke about it. I mean, you, you, you do or you did come into a lot of stick from a certain section of the Luton fans for um, maybe things what went on at the club that maybe not everyone knew. Do you want to like just elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, I've, I've spoke about it many a times. Um, for nothing's changed. We were in administration. Uh, I let myself down a little bit. But we was in administration at the time. We'd, we'd just had um, a really good season the year before. Me and Stevie Howard had scored, scored 40 goals between us or something. And obviously, my, um, uh, Joe Kinnear had got sacked, which was a shock to us, Marv, at that time, because we had a good season. We didn't quite make the playoffs, but relatively, we were building a good squad. Then Mike Newell came in, and then we went into administra administration. They pulled me in the office. I had a phone call from Gary Waddock. That night, uh, the night before, obviously, Ian's interested in you. What do you think? And I said, well, we've just gone into administration. So he said, yeah, it's 50 grand. So I turned around and went, listen, the fees ain't nothing to do with me. Um, but, you know, what's, what's your thoughts? And, and obviously Gary said that Ian's really keen. The next day, the administrators pulled me in and said that we've, we've got to let you go for 50 grand. And I was like, really? And I was like, basically, Mick said, do you want to go? And I said, yeah, I do want to go. And that's literally how the story was. I think the thing that upset me was everyone felt that I went for money. I didn't go for money. That's a God's honest truth. I went, I took a pay cut to go to QPR that year. Not, not all supporters know that. And that is the God's honest truth. Ian Holloway would tell you that. I took a big pay cut to go to QPR. I just thought it was the right time for me. Uh, I was 31, I think, next birthday. I just had a good year at Luton. And basically, I didn't realise how much upheaval it would be and what the response would have been when I left. Uh, and that's, that's basically the... What, is it, um, what does it feel like to, obviously, a club you grew up at, went back four times. Um, does it hurt um, to hear some of those songs <laughs> that you sing? <laughs> no, not really. I, I'm not one of these that worries about stuff like that. Um, at the time, I went back, you wouldn't believe it, I went back for QPR and set Paul Furlong in the 94th minute. That didn't go down very well because we drew one all and we got battered on the day. Luton beat us fair and square, but we ended up getting a point out of it. And I got absolutely pelters. Now, that was quite upsetting. But then over the years, I've been, it's been 17 years now since I left. So it's a long time, water under the bridge and all that. Luton, there's a younger generation now that wouldn't even know who I was. So I've kind of forgot about it, really. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. And you'd, um, so in terms of Luton... Um, you say you still look back at the club and, and that type of thing. Um, obviously, playing for some for some big clubs. Uh, are you surprised by their their demise that happened, or is it something? Obviously, you were there for a while. They went in and out of administration a few times while you were there. Um, was it something you just got used to as a as a as a player? Yeah, I think we had a couple of spells of administration through the times that I was there. Um, first time I was a young lad, so it didn't affect me as much. Second time was obviously when I left. And I'm sure they might have even had another one in between me being at Bristol. I'm not sure. Um, I don't think players, unless it's affecting you financially, I don't think players take too much concern, Marv, do they really? Unless no, yeah, you're right. And paid for months on end. 
uh, at the lower level, that'll really hurt some of these guys that are paying mortgages and etc. and bills. But for me at the time, I was um, I just loved my football that much that I never really thought about the impact it would have on the club. Probably didn't even understand it as much. Um, and then on the second time, you know, I was worth more than 50 grand for sure. Um, I'd just had such a good season and I was still only 30. But, you know, I was kind of half forced and half pushed, but I also made my decision myself uh, and decided to leave. And the future, and it was what it was. And you moved on and had some, had some great times playing at, um, at QPR. And with Holloway, what is he like as a character? Yeah, he's, he's mad. Absolutely mad. We got our best years out of Ian. Um, he's managing at Grimsby at the moment now. I don't think he's got such a love and passion for the game. But there was a, every time he came in the dressing room, it was a laugh a minute. But he was also a very, very good manager as well, wanting things done properly, very structured. Worked really hard on the training ground. He's definitely my top three managers of all time that I played under. I think I had 25 or somebody. 25? Wow. So he was by far, Ian was just a great guy, passion like you've never known, but really funny with it as well. Um, and we just had the best two years. I had the best two years ever at QPR under, under his, under his uh, regime. He's an amazing so you you say he's in the top three. So that's our next question. Who is the manager who's going to leave this this eleven? What you've just like put together? Yeah. So I'd have Ian in my top three, and I'd have I, I really enjoy playing under Danny Danny Wilson, ex Luton. Um, Danny was brilliant for me at Bristol City. He basically just sent me out there over three years that I played under him, and just said go and play. He never complicated anything with me. He knew what my character was like. He knew my um, my attitude sometimes could have been better. My work rate definitely could have been better. Um, so he, he was brilliant for me. He didn't put any pressure on me at all. We just said, go out and play. That was it for me. That was his for me. But uh, he's brilliant for Bristol as a manager, and he's had a good career himself as a player and as a manager. Um, but for me, I, it'd have to always be David Pleat for me, Mark. Always. He's, he's, he's four generations behind, but his knowledge in our time and how he wanted this. All the stuff that you see now in football, how it's moved on, is partly to do with managers like him. Yeah. Because they said <clears throat> when 80s football was very robust, Marv, wasn't it? Yeah. Then you went into the 90s football where, obviously, the tackle from behind and all that changed. And then you went into the kind of mid-90s where Pleaty was so knowledgeable and understood how to play from the back, doing things that we used to do. I mean, not at that level that Man City do it at now, but it's the same scenario. Yeah. But Pleaty did that 25 years ago, Marvin. I know, I know. Yeah, I agree. And people wouldn't give him the credit for that, but it was managers like him that set the stall out for how football's played now. And that is, from what I've seen of him as as a coach, he did so many different things when I was young I'd never ever seen before. Uh, and just that just reminds me, brings a smile to my face because I think you remember as well. And um, a lot of the drills we used to do a lot of different combination in passing drills, and so David would like speak and explain it. And we wouldn't we wouldn't really do that many demos, would we? To be honest, and they go mm. right, get to the right, and then like Michelin <laughs> would be pushing you to the because no one knew what. what what did he just say? <laughs> and he front and I'd always get it wrong. And then they go, come on, let's go for, let's go for, come on, play. And like, yeah. 
he did yeah. it wrong. No, no, yeah. you're not listening. Come on. But he was just one off. I mean, so like you said, some of the drills, Marv, that we did, we, you know, we, we, we didn't uh, sometimes know what we were doing. So, <laughs> but he was that, he was that head of the game. In his mind, I knew what he wanted out of it, but he just didn't have the players to do it. I mean, we were good players, but he yeah. was just a different level. And it's such a shame he, he struggled a little bit at Spurs and Chef Wednesday and so on and so on, because I think we got the best out of him. I think you definitely would have got the best out of him. No, oh, definitely. I mean, I mean again, he's, he's, he's a top... I mean, kept it, I mean, a lot of people say to me, what was it like? I mean, his, his pre-match game speech was very rarely about the opposition. It was always about what we could do, what we did well. And I think that's a lot of the, of the game today is why some teams are beat before they even go out of the dressing room because they're talking about if we were playing like for Man United against Man United, it wouldn't be like gigs, skulls. It wouldn't be talking about that. It'd be saying, well, look, this is what we can do because that's in our control. That's all what's in his control. The next door dressing room was never in his control. So he was always just spoke about uh, absolutely, our absolutely, Marv. Just quickly, he was he was very cute and clever. I remember, you know, when we when we said we had a tough school. I remember he put me on corners and I kicked two behind the goal, and he, and he shouted at me. And I always remember this. And he shouted at me, and I was so shit scared to take the third one because if I'd have took the third one and kicked it out of play, I would never have been on corners ever again. But he, he tested you as a player. That's what he did, didn't he? Yeah. He used it all the time, just to see what you, how you react to how your character was. Would you fall and be weak, or are you quite a strong boy and you can take it? And I, he drilled me all the time, didn't he? All the time. And, and really clever. And 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 he could be and he could be ruthless as well. If you, I mean, I don't think he was. Yeah. I don't think he was there, but. I've, I remember the time, oh, I can't remember his name, the player now, but he's a young lad, young apprentice, or I mean, just turned pro, he'd been given pro. And David Pleat had just come back now for the second time for his second stint in the club. And he's in the dressing room addressing all the players and he said, um, look, I don't know what's gone on before, but the slate's clean. Everyone here now is going to get a fair crack at the whip to claim a, um, a, a shirt. So... He's turned around and going, right, hands up, who needs boots? And a couple of people put their hands up and need boots. And there's this young pro, I can't remember his name now, what he's like, and he goes, no, 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 you put your hand down, you don't need boots, I'll speak to you later. That was him gone, that, that meant he was gone. Yeah, that, that young player would have just finished that day, that day yeah, on. Put your yeah, hand down, you don't need boots, that, I'll speak to you later. Gone. But he did test you, he was very good. He'd test you mentally, um, He'd throw things at you, and he was just a cute man and very clever. I owe all my football, obviously, David. Otherwise, I wouldn't have uh, enjoyed it as much he, as I did. And like you said, either he liked cute, he liked clever players, and I know, and, he, and I, I know I worked him. Obviously, not worked him out, but obviously, I got to know him quite a lot. Obviously, I was I was there from kid, and I knew exactly how he used to come. He used to come for people and test you, like you said. And I remember going, we was it Electrolux? I think it was Electrolux. We we had um, where we trained and the. The, the bathrooms, and I don't know if he was there. Remember Tony Adcock, the player Tony Adcock. Yeah, I do know Tony. Yeah, Tony. Wow. So, so Tony, he was a centre forward. He, he, he come. He was there, and so I'd, I'd gone into the bathroom to have a, a piss, and like, so David's come in, and I know David, please come in. Obviously, gone into the the cubicle to 
do a number two, obviously. And so literally Addy's coming, Tony Adcock's coming. And so I'm having no words. And he can hear this noise of someone like on the toilet. And he's like, <laughs> going, he's gone to me, who's in there? And I've just gone, I like, shrugged my shoulders, sort of thing. And he's and he and he David Pick knows that I know he's in there. And so he can hear he's gone, go on, son, get it out, get it out. So this is Adcock. This is David Adcock. And so I've gone, I've gone, I've gone, who's in there? He's gone, I don't know, because but they're struggling. Go on, son, get it out, he said. And next thing, the toilet flushes, right? And this is this is the best thing what David Pick was like. The toilet flushes, the door opens. And out comes Bleaty. Tony Adcock's face is just bright red, embarrassment. And Bleaty's gone to me, clever Johnson, clever, clever. <laughs> like he knew that I knew he was in there, but I didn't yeah. say nothing. Yeah, he was good. I, I remember um, quickly before I go. I remember we played Forest away, and he played me on the left, and I was not having a good time. So he should have brought me off, but he didn't bring me off. He put me on the right against Stuart Pearce, knowing Dan <laughs> gonna have just as hard time against him as I did in the first half. And I always remember it, Piercy kicked me up and down. I was only nine. And he literally, he did it on purpose. But even like making my debut at Newcastle, he never told me till five to two, when we walked out in St. James's Park, the pitch, because I wasn't in the team the day before. Right. He came up and he went, you're playing. So he took all that pressure away from me the night before. No, I might've been nervous. I might've been this and I did that. And he went, you're playing at five to two. I didn't have time to get nervous, Mark. Do you know what I mean? That's a, let's just score that great goal. Management, yeah, really good management from Sleety. He was a good guy. So, I mean, yeah. that moves in now to our, our final question your most memorable Luton game and why? Uh, well, all my hat tricks for Luton are memorable, but I'd have to say the the game would have to be the first one, which I've just mentioned to the way in 1990, a long time ago. Now. Yeah, I'd have to say the, ninth, the, the first goal that kind of not put me on the map, but just kind of. I knew I could score at that level um, and I knew I could compete at that level. I just needed more games, nurturing a little bit more. So I'd have to say most memorable game would be definitely the Newcastle FA Cup game one off. Oh, excellent. I mean, a cracking goal that was as well. It was. Did you play in that, Mark? No, I didn't play in that one, no. I, that's, that's why, I think that's where you played. Tumble and Peaky at the back. Huh? Was it Tumble and Peaky? Tumble and Peaky, yeah, yeah. Tom and Vicky. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if I went to the game, if I even come to the I don't think I even come to the game. I don't think I did, because I heard that you scored, well, and then I, I saw... You, the... you mentioned a great point earlier about Pleaty. Um, I always remember in the dressing room that um, he never... Won, they were top of the Prem, mm. and we we were struggling in the first division, and they were top of the Prem, absolutely steamrolling everybody, and Pleaty never once spoke about any of their players. I always remember it. He literally spoke about us, what we could do, and how we could affect them if we played our football. And we did. Yeah. We got a drink at home, battered them at home. Um, is, that the, so, yeah. is that the game Johnny scored? Was it? Was it yeah, live on Sky? Yeah. And Oaksy. Was it Oaksy? Oaksy and John. Yeah. Oaksy and John. Yeah. 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 It was. Um, do you reckon Keegan remembered you from that game? Yeah. I mean, Kevin. Did he ever mention it when you went to find me? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. We had a few chats about it back in the day, and we giggled about it. But we uh, we played we played really well at St James's. But we absolutely battered them at home. I don't know if you remember the game, but our la the lads were brilliant at home. We just absolutely outpassed them. We beat them fair and square 2-0. Um, but yeah, if we hadn't got a draw maybe at St James's, it would have been another story. But yeah, 
great memories, great great evenings at, at uh, Kenilworth Road. They oh, I was behind the Kenilworth. I remember watching it. It was absolutely oh. sensational finish. And I've always said that it's the hardest I've ever seen a ball hit was when Peter Beardsley walloped the post in that game. It's the, honestly the hardest. And I reckon the, the post is still shaking now. It was so he, he, hard. He was so close, Andy, because I, I, he came to Fulham when I, when I was there. Uh, Kevin had brought him in, which, which wasn't great really for me because he brought him in to play him. He was 35, Peter, coming to the end of his career. He was one of my favourite players of all time, Peter. Just, and we both scored in the same game. I think we beat Carlisle 5-0 and we both scored. But that's kind of one of my kind of really big memories that he was a hero of mine. I played with him and scored. But um, he was close to getting in the team as well because Peter I was going to say that. I would have to have him in my team. If I played with Peter Beersley, he would be in my yeah. team. Wow. Yeah, I got uh, I got Kevin in there. Uh, Kevin's yeah. just better looking than him. So that's why Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, um, Peter definitely was close. But uh, obviously, I've got to play, put players in that I played a bit more longer with. I only played a couple of games with and um, Andrew mentioned it earlier on. Um, you're, you're doing a little bit of management now, so just I mean, just for the, our listeners, just what are you what are you up to now? What, what are you what's, what, no, what are you doing so now? Andrew's obviously read something. I, I left Melton about three years ago now. Oh, apologies. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I think it's still there. Someone's kept it on. Um, yeah, I left Melton. I went into a bit of management. I found that really tough. At the level, step seven was the level. Um, players not turning up for training, uh, players not turning up for matches, not eating the right things, not drinking. The right... I just found the whole level of it with, with where I came from. I couldn't uh, understand why players couldn't do the same as what I did, but it wasn't their fault. It was my fault. So I had to adapt to that. And I didn't do very well, but I, I enjoyed it. But it's not something that I'd ever go back into now in management. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. And what are you up to these days then? Yeah, so I work for a, um, I'm business development manager and I have been for two years for a company called ATA. So they're engineering specialists, not far from where I live. Great company to work for. Um, great guys, uh, really good recruiters. I've uh, been around a long time, got some great staff, great management. And I've been there uh, a couple of years now. So that's, that's what I do now for a living. Excellent, excellent. And we'd like to finish off and give you a chance to speak to our fans. Um, is there any messages you want to give to any um, fans of any of the clubs you play for? I mean, you mentioned quite a lot about Bristol and QPR and um, Luton, but any fans at all you want to leave a final message to? Yeah, I think um, all four, all three or four clubs that I've played for, um, like I do most years on Twitter or wherever it is, Facebook, just wish them all the best. In a real tough time, as you're, as we're all well aware with, with um, COVID um, in the last seven or eight months. Um, so... For me, just for all supporters to stay healthy, hopefully get all supporters back in the stadiums again, which is what we want. We've just seen um, was Luton have their first 2,000 supporters the other week against Norwich. Yep. Yeah. You know, sure, Luton fans and all fans, Fulham, QPR and all fans all over the country can't wait to start filling stadiums again. So for me, just stay healthy, everybody. That's what it's all about. Excellent, Paul. Thank you so much. Um, all right, awesome. So thank you very much. And that was Tony Thorpe's My Best Eleven. Thank you, Tony. Cheers, guys. <laughs>